Hello and welcome back to Find the Outside the Podcast. It's lovely to have you back with us and to be hanging out in your ears again. We are delighted to have Manish Jain with us today. And Manish is a fellow we've known for a very long time. Uh, I, you know, I just we were just talking about before we got on the pod about you being over in Canada when Emma must have been, my daughter, must have been maybe one, two three and we, we, we were digging out a garden that is still being used you know and uh, so Manish it's wonderful to have you on the pod mate thanks for coming in and joining us thanks Tim I remember your yurt very well <laughs> that's right we had a 27 foot yurt on a on a big deck which we ran as all of the as the kind of basic venue yeah. and, and Man, we did some good it. Indian cooking place. when we were there <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> I remember that. That's true. Manish, why don't we start there? Why don't you just start by kind of saying a little bit about kind of like where you are and where you're located? I think that would be lovely. I am based in a, a city called Udaipur, which is in Rajasthan, India. It's one of the most magical cities in, in India, uh, uh, filled with, you know, palaces and camels and elephants. You can, on good days, we see elephants walking down the street with us. Um, and uh, um, just lots of indigenous communities near us as well. Um, so it's a, it's a, I've been here for the last 25 years. I moved from the uh, U.S. back to here. My village is about two hours from here. So it's, it is kind of my uh, ancestral place in many senses of the word. And Manish, I feel like I should say, uh, because Tim just said, oh, yes, when Emma was one or two or three, but Emma's 19 now. So it's not that. Yeah, Emma's just, 19. That's a good point. Just to give a little. Yeah, she's 19 and declared that as of now, everything I say is advisory. Just so we're clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. fair. I mean, you know. That's uh, mm. a fair point. That's right. And so, um, Manish, let's just talk about, you said, I moved back from the U.S. And so I'd love to hear, I know this is an old story now for you since you've been there so many years, but can you just tell us a little bit around what was the, what was the impetus for moving back? What was the, what was happening for you that you're like, I want to be in that particular place? I mean, besides having elephants walk down the street mm-hmm. in palaces, which mm-hmm. I'm like, well, of course, would wouldn't go back but what was the impetus for bringing you back i guess the impetus was i had grown up in the u.s somehow survived uh the monotony of suburbia wanted to since i was a kid wanted to do things to serve serve the world um and i ended up in the major centers of power to do that um Wall Street uh, as an investment banker, Harvard, the UN, the World Bank. And by the time I was 28, I had kind of hit the wall with that and was in a state of total disillusionment uh, about the capacities of these institutions to um, not only um, bring positive change into the world, but even their intentions in terms of actually uh, continuing um, probably uh, neo-colonial models around the planet. And so kind of came back to because um, um, I was lost, didn't know what to do anymore and wanted to reconnect to my community, my place, which I had been uprooted from uh, since childhood and uh, came back to um, my grandmother, my illiterate village grandmother and uh 
started uh, living with her. I thought I was taking care of her with my wife um, and my sister. And uh, turns out she became our unlearning guru. Um, mm. I like to say I started realizing that she was probably more intelligent um, and educated than my Harvard professor. So we stuck on with her for a long time in our grandmother's university. And she helped me reconnect to place and to the more than human world and to gift culture and to uh, myself, I think, in different ways. So, you know, it was a beautiful journey with her. Manisha, I was looking at I was looking at your bio and I'm just going to read like some of the titles that kind of are used to describe your work in there. So uh, an uneducator, giftivist, uh, inter-cosmovision facilitator, filmmaker, urban organic farmer, slow food chef, compassionate clown, writer, organic intellectual, master yogi and co-founder of the unschooling movement. Right. You know, I think that, that sounds that all sounds pretty <laughs> Freaking amazing. Um, and uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. But I'd just like to hear some words from yeah. you on, you know, that's a little bit of your story about the journey back to India. But what, 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 do you, what, what would you consider is at the heart of your work now? I think the heart of the work is around, uh, I would say, remembering, uh, helping us to remember that we are. There's a saying, I don't know if you guys have heard, called Tina. Uh, this was a saying from the 80s, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, which was, there is no alternative. Uh, ah. to, um, uh, and so this global global economy, the Western worldview, uh, Western modernist worldview, there is no other alternative to that. And so I think part of the work is to remember um, that there are many other worldviews, many other ways to understand who we are and why we've come to this earth and how we can learn uh, how differently, how we can heal ourselves differently, how we can build community in, in, in all kinds of different ways. Um, so that's part of it. And then the other is to, uh, so, so in that sense, reconnecting to a lot of our traditional wisdom and uh, uh, indigenous knowledge systems, uh, which where I am, luckily, many are still alive. Um, and then the second part is really around reimagining. So the so rather than trying to fix the existing systems, which I think there are fundamental design problems with, uh, to actually reimagine mm -hmm. what kinds of new models, new kinds of uh, ways to to be together, to co-create together, um, to practice together, to dream together, to love together, all of those. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, just like a million things coming into my mind to ask you about. I mean, just I'm like, I'm like, oh, right. Manish got there 20 years ago. I might, I think I'm just there now, uh, but that's all right. It's all right. I can, I'm, I'm a slow processor. We've all established that. But also I want to just say there are so many things just as you were just talking that I want to bring to light in terms of um, our listeners and um, how Tim and I work. And I just want to say, Manish, I, as you're just as you're speaking that little bit of intro, I'm realizing how very much your thinking has informed our work. Like, I want to just say that, like you use the word remembering. I'm like, right at the bottom of the two loops. I remember you saying me years ago, we have to decolonize the two loops. We need to put like this thread of remembering. And we talk about that. Every time we teach it, we talk about like the remembering and the, the practices that we've had. 
And then as you talk about, um, you know, being, you know, reimagining how we love and how we are together. I was just on my honeymoon in Peru and I picked up this beautiful scarf and um, and I thought, oh, I wonder who I'll give this to at some point. Right. And that is definitely a practice that you brought into my life when we were on the Burkana board together, mm. when people just brought something they had and then they exchanged it. And I thought, oh, I don't think this scarf is mine, but I really, really want to pick it up because at some point I'll give it to someone who I think will love it. And so just to kind of like my heart feels like, oh, so big and soft and my brain feels on fire mm-hmm. just from like two seconds of talking. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I can just feel your influence on our work. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. Glad to bring that to people. I'm humbled, humbled to hear that Tuesday, and so happy. Yeah. I love you guys so much, both of you. Oh, Anish. Look, I've got. Do you want to ask a question, Chu? Nope. I just wanted to like. I just wanted to give a little love. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> Tell I love it. I mean, I love a love fest. Are you kidding me? One of the kids' uncles, one of my kids' uncles, uh, Uncle Zach, he's a lovely bloke, and uh, and he always tells the kids, he's like, I love love, you know. <laughs> I love love. And so they quote him now, you know. Like, it's like Uncle Zach, I love love, you know. But he does. He just loves it, you know, and and it's, and it's uh, and the kids adore him because of it because mm. he's just like they know where, they know where mm. to go for love, you know. He's just gorgeous. Um, all right. I mean, I'm just going to get into it because it's it's live for me, and I want to I want to have the conversation because you know that I think years ago, Manish, there was that Buckminster Fuller quote, right? You know, like yes, build the viable alternatives. Don't waste your time trying to change these broken systems because they're broken. You know what I mean? And they're going to die out. They're like dinosaurs. They're just so like build the viable alternatives so people have places to migrate to. And so I'm interested in. How, you know, as we, so I'm in, I've been launching this soccer club for the last five years. It's a free access soccer club. Uh, It's built an enormous amount of community and belonging around it, um, both for people who already live here and people who are moving here. And so it's, 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 it's doing so much of what we talked about when we were meeting 20 years ago, imagining our work, you know. Um, And, uh, and that Shikshanta has been such a huge, you know, has been doing that, I think, in your community for, must be knocking on 20 years now um, and 25, yeah. 25 years. Yeah. 25 years. Right. And so, uh, and one of the things that we're noticing with the soccer club is we've got to a point where we've grown and, and we're actually having to engage with the dominant system at the same time as providing a viable alternative that it's not because there's things from that dominant system that the kids we're working with and the families we're working with, they need to access and engage with to support their lives. But at the same time, we've still got to keep this like independent, viable soccer club safe from the influence of something that's actually really quite toxic. The relationships are toxic. The approach to people is toxic. In this particular situation where it's sport, their approach to competition is toxic, you know? Um, and and so it's it's this very interesting situation we're finding ourselves in where we've grown, we've got a massive community of support and followers. It's a real viable alternative. It's got huge community support and momentum, but we're still having to engage with the current reality, you know? And so I'm just be I'd be really interested just to hear you talk about that because I, I think for year, years ago, I imagined we'd just build viable alternatives and then everybody would come over and join us and then rock and roll. 
we've got a whole new world. Thank you. You know, and it's, and it's not quite like that in my experience. And uh, so could you just speak a little bit to that from your experience? Yeah, great. No, I, I, that's a great question, Tim. Um, I just wanted to say one thing uh, before I get into that is, you know, you said the system's broken. So in our, in our worldview, actually, we say that the system is working. It's actually working to do what it was designed mm-hmm. to do. So it's mm-hmm. a very fundamental shift because yeah. if you think you're broken, if it's broken, your mentality goes to trying to fix it. And this is what so many friends around the world are yeah. trying to Love do. That. But if you realize the design is actually to, it's working according to its design, um, which is to to produce self-hatred, disconnect people from their lands, uh, from their hands, from, from their local work. Um, to break community, all of those things, then then you would have a very different strategy on it. So I think this is just a key distinction. Um, so in terms of how to do it, I think that, um, so it's interesting, I would bring in the word composting into this conversation, um, because I think it has a lot to offer um, us as a metaphor. Um, two things, composting and also uh, cow dung. These two things. I Excellent. Would- I, you know, I had, I, had, I had a feeling that somewhere along the line, cow dung was going to turn up in this conversation, having met you a few times. I just had a feeling. <laughs> so cow dung, because I think um, we have actually at our university, we have a sign that says your shit can save the world. It's outside of the, the toilet, the dry compost toilets, right? And so I think our notions of shit or what we consider dirty or what we think as... Um, on the edges or what we see in the shadows or what in the cracks, all of those things are where we can draw a lot more energy from uh, in terms of, so one is where do we keep drawing continuous energy from? I think there's a lot of things Mm. that we can look at, which were, which were, um, which have been kind of devalued. Um, So much of our work is, for example, with, um, People who have been labeled failures and dropouts and rejects by society, even to the extent I work with uh, uh, people in the uh, convicted inmates in the in the prison system, as well as people are being released after being serving their sentences. So all of these people and the edges who have who have been, you know, blacklisted in many ways by society. There's a um, there's a whole set of possibilities that we can keep drawing from uh, as we keep building this work. So that has been one part. I think is is where do we keep getting the, in a sense, the energy, the fuel, the inspiration. A lot of it can come from there. Um, and the second part is actually we well, since I saw you last, we actually had lots of interesting engagements with mainstream in- institutions. Wonderful. So including the prison system, including the government schooling system. But what has shifted fundamentally because of the work that we did on the outside, our legitimacy, our credibility, um, our vision, our, our, our teams, our voice um, has been uh, received in a very different way, in a way that we can actually call the shots. Um, so I'm running, for example, an un, two unschooling centers in government schools in Delhi, in the toughest parts of Delhi, which are considered the most, you know, the the toughest slum areas. Um, uh, and we have two beautiful centers running there in government schools to show a model. And they run every day, four hours a day as a parallel system in the existing government system. And so how do we take the resources 
um, from the existing system and start to compost them. The, the money, the, the laws, uh, the rules, can we compost them into our, into our game? That has kind of been the approach. The other thing is in the prison system. We have total access um, uh, to, to the central jail here. Um, and we run, a, a, again, a, a, you could call it an unschooling or an unlearning center in the jail every day, five hours a day as a parallel system. And so, and we, I can take, I've taken Brazilians from many of them you would know uh, from, uh, and we've done a huge concert in the jail with inmates. We have a music academy, a recording studio in the jail. We have organic farming and permaculture in the jail. We have uh, filmmaking and photography studio operating in the jail. We do theater and storytelling uh, in the jail, lots of things around healing. So we've set up uh, the jail not as a, you know, some of the inmates have said, this is not a jail anymore. This has been a, a gurukul for us or an mm. alternative universe. Mm. And so how do we wow. start to take the existing infrastructure and financial resources of the system and channel it into our own game? That's been one of the things that I've been experimenting with over the last, particularly very strongly over the last five, seven years. And the, the other thing is to understand um, so a lot of the work has been around the money system, understanding it, right? And so, so I would argue that um, money is a tool that we're using, but it's actually, um, so we have this, let me, let me back up a little. So the goddess Lakshmi, you guys know about the goddess yeah, Lakshmi, right? So, I do. So there, we have, uh, the goddess Lakshmi was around wealth, basically, the goddess of wealth. What has happened in the last 20, 30 years in India is that people have become very confused. They confuse money with wealth. Mm. This is a fundamental flaw because I would say that um, any form of wealth uh, should make you feel more a sense of greater abundance, trust, care, uh, gratitude, uh, connection. Um, all of these kinds of feelings should be kind of evoked when you have wealth. What I've seen with money, mainly people feel a lot of scarcity, a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity. So I would say it's a tool that's being used, but it, I don't consider it a form of real wealth. So what I'm saying is we have to take the money from the system and compost it in, and try to regenerate real wealth, which would be our health, our food systems, our community life, uh, our social social bonds, our uh, natural forests and rivers and and uh, uh, you know soils. Uh, so all of those things. So we have a huge project that is going on, which is trying to do that um, in a in an indigenous uh, uh, district of, of of Rajasthan that's near here. We were trying to take a lot of resources and rebuild this entire district into an organic zone. Uh, and so it's replenishing the water systems, re water harvesting and conservation and um, uh, again, community bonds, festivals, the spiritual traditions, supporting those in deep ways, uh, seeds, native seeds, forest um, species, uh, the soil regeneration. So all of this is happening. And so we're taking money from the mainstream system and channeling it and composting it into regenerating this wealth in the community. So how, in the midst of that, how do you protect yourself? You know, how do you protect yourself personally? How do you protect the kind of DNA and the culture of what you're seeking to do as you, you know, like, you, you know, you, you're taught, I think 
I mean, I get it and I'm with you that you get to a point where you can call the shots because like we're five years into this soccer club. We've got massive success. We've got, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we're now yep. able to engage with the dominant system in a way that uh, we don't need them. Yeah. Right. And, and, but I'm just interested, like, you know, have you, have you had to develop strategies to kind of protect the culture of what you do and the process of what you do and the people that you're working with in some ways? Yeah. So this is a fine kind of a, a edge that we're walking on, right? Between the money system and the gift culture. Right. So, um, so that's the edge that we've been trying to walk on. And so when I say gift culture, obviously this, um, um, it starts with, I think, with a lot of our own, um, what we've tried to do is to remember a lot of our own metaphors around the gift culture, around our own stories, cultural stories to remind us, uh, what, what value and what, um, relationships matter to us. Uh, what's the core of this work and reconnect to, I sense the sense of the sacred is kind of the idea that we keep trying to invoke. Um, so there's lots of stories that we've tried to, um, to, um, uh, reconnect to revive um, and even interpret in, op- in more open ways. A lot of the interpretations have become quite um, stagnant in, in many situations. Mm. So to open those up conversations has been a, a big part of work to keep the spirit of, of gift culture alive and, and to know that it's not like, so one of the things when I first started, was like, oh, these are like crazy ideas from the West. And so I had to say, you know, like something like zero waste, for example, I said, no, 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 this is our grandmothers. They were all the zero waste masters. And so everyone, like a light bulb clicked on for people like, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. And my grandmother used to do this and my grandmother used to do that. So a lot of the space for bringing out these stories and to keep reminding ourselves has been part of that journey. And I think also the fact that we are, you know, a lot of the work is actually involving our hands and our bodies, which is another way to kind of ground ourselves and keep ourselves real and honest and not just get into abstract ideas. So a lot of it is with our food and, you know, um, and uh, with music and all of these things that help build, keep building relationships has been another big element of what we're doing. And these are all, you know, I'd, I'd say they're the most powerful, most sacred and most simple technologies that we have mm. forgotten how to, how to engage with them. Um, and these are, you know, these aren't, no, it's not rocket science. People have been known how to use, work with these to build community for a long time. So for example, every Saturday we do, uh, and so I had a dream once to own a, to have a restaurant and do that. And I said, Oh, it's just too much work. I'm too lazy for that. So, uh, so Oh yeah. Manish, Manish, Jane and lazy. Those words, they just, they just flow together. Don't they? Totally. totally. Yeah. Need, so lazy. Absolutely. We need to talk about it. I said, I'm the laziest man in the world. I, I will claim that. And the reason, um, Ask me later on, I'll tell you why I said that. But um, so we wanted to do this cafe. We thought, okay, let's just do it once a week, every Saturday. Let's run a community cafe, gift culture style, slow food. Uh, Let's regenerate our traditional millets and create all kinds of new recipes with that. Let's invite people to cook together and then have music and and storytelling and comedy and all of these things. and so that's been running for the last uh, 13 years, every Saturday. Um, and it's a beautiful place. Usually 60, 70, 80 people come to that intergenerational setup. People are playing games, they're talking, but it's the informal weaving 
that is very important that's happening, that invisible weaving that happens, uh, which I don't think a lot of people pay that much attention to. We uh, sometimes get stuck in too many formal spaces and things, but this this weaving together and, and to create these kinds of spaces where people can just, you know, play together and dance together and sing together. I think that creates a, a very different field around this work and around uh, the vibe around the city also. So I do want to ask you about the laziest man in the world, but I also want to, you said something that felt really provocative to me earlier. Um, well, first off, I want to actually, just because I'm not sure all our listeners would know what unschooling is. So I'd love to hear you just kind of share, like, what is the philosophy of unschooling? But the thing underneath it that I heard you just kind of said it as a throwaway line, right? You said, we help, you know, like people, these, these systems are built for self-hatred. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious, I would love to hear you say more about that because it is, it occurred to me as you were talking that, um, that you're probably not doing kind of a Western psychological, what's happened that makes you hate yourself, right? You know what I mean? Like an uncovering and kind of like a working with your own self-hatred. It feels like part of what you're doing is not hating people. Yeah. And not even hating the system that created the conditions, you know, like, so as you talked about, you're like, oh yeah, we're, we use the tools from the old system. There's something it feels like you're saying about... Um, love, right? Like you're not hating the people. You're not hating the old system. We're creating conditions. And it just feels like there's kind of like love underneath there, Manish. And I'd love to hear you talk about that a little more explicitly. Yes, there is love, definitely. You named it for sure. Love and love and, and care and hospitality. These are all things my grandmother helped me remember mm. also as part of the work and and i think playful playfulness mm. with that love Not a kind of grabbing or kind of clasp on kind of love uh, for sure yeah so about unschooling so unschooling is uh there's a i mean most people have heard of homeschooling uh homeschooling people fi follow the uh uh, they, they're at home, they don't go to school, but they follow the syllabus, they believe in all the subjects, they end up taking all the tests, they want to go to the same institutions eventually when they get older. Um, so unschooling is, uh, philosophy says that the, 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 the curriculum or the syllabus should come from life mm. and whatever's happening around you. Um, and so I have a 20-year-old daughter. Um, her nickname is Kanku. She's never gone to school. She's never looked at an exam in her life. She's never looked at a textbook in her life. She's been to a classroom, just like we take the kids to see to the zoo to see the caged animals. We took uh. her a few times to see the room. And she was aghast that people have to ask permission to even go to the bathroom, mm. uh, that they're not able to exercise control over their bodily functions <laughs> without permission of authorities. Um, so what she's been doing since she grew up was to be with all kinds of diverse people. Mm. She's traveled a lot with us. She's uh, worked a lot. I'm a big believer in child labor, not the violent, exploitative kind, but the right for children to do meaningful work mm -hmm. and be involved in things that matter to them and help build, uh, uh, build their communities. So she's worked in animal shelters. She's worked in cafes. She's worked in a fa in fashion studio. She's wor uh, worked in art galleries. She's worked in the vegetable market. So wherever her interests have taken her, uh, 
she's she's done lots of things um and i think that's it and then whatever's happening like a uh, couple of months ago um her cousin was involved in a protest in in jaipur uh to try to save a forest there so she just got involved in that and that became a learning but very powerful learning experience for her so whatever is going on you know even you know like some problem with the neighbor that happens that becomes a learning mm. experience uh so all kinds of things that are happening and so the idea is you know there's the saying that um it took a it takes a village to raise a child um i kind of flipped that on the head it takes our children to help us raise our villages again and so um because of her we've built this very rich set of relationships and community again i grew up as a latchkey kid basically so i was craved a sense of community and i think that because God, I've been gifted that and then you know the questions around what food we're eating where our food is coming from where our waste is going all of these kinds of questions become part of daily life and so it's not just about going to school or not going to school it's much more fundamentally asking question what is the good life what do we mean by success uh what what gives us happiness um what kinds of relationships we want to build um all of those questions are part of unschooling i think so that's amazing yes and it can take many forms i think the other we've been now working on something called the unschoolers eco village so a simple model that you know one of the worst i think um one of the worst things that modern society has created is the is the nuclear family setup mm and so um it's stress so stressful for everyone involved in it and i had since i've been in india i've engaged with many joint families um setups my my relatives involved in friends have involved in and i see that that kind of setup gives a lot of freedom and and security to people uh, uh a very rich learning environment also because it's very intergenerational um and um So there's one is you can have a joint family by biology, uh biological blood relations, but we can also build our own joint families out of um out of, you know, friendship mm. and out of uh common common vision. And so uh, I saw once a great model even in Australia, you know, 19 families living together uh in one ap- apartment complex. Wow. And so give me a lot of ideas and so i think for even this homeschooling and the unschooling movement and anybody in alternative education how do we start to build this lived community differently mm. could be just five six families living together but that can give change the economics and can change the 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 relational field it can change the um uh sense of security and well-being for for everyone involved so we we um a few years ago we also started working more concretely on on a model that is not only about the learning process but how do we make a economics that can also mm. uh give give the adults so when we say unschooling it's not only for the kids it's also for the adults you know cuz so much trauma so much um uh um this conditioning around you know things like comparison even i mm-hmm. i caught myself several times over the years you know you just get into this comparison mode first for yourself then for your kids right. when your kids you know, what are your, your parents start doing it with their kids to their other friends you know and so all of these kinds of things are there so how do we actually start to heal ourselves out of that so unschooling is inviting also parents to rethink about their own learning processes and things and then how do we build an economic model as i said that 
that we can live with much more freedom and care. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I want a model where everyone can eat organic food and everyone has, you know, 75%, 80% of their time to do the things they dream about um, and where they can spend a lot of time with playing with kids, you know. So can we dream of models like that? Mm. It's funny, you know, because like my, my question was going to be, you know, so, so much of what you're saying is going to be so radical to some of the ears that are listening. I can even feel it. I mean, it can feel it to me and I'm considered a radical mm-hmm. thinker sometimes, you know, or even radical practitioner. <laughs> And, uh, and, 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 th- and therefore unattainable. Do you know what I mean? Like it can feel so fundamentally different to my day to day, the way you talk, you know, that actually it can feel like out of reach, you know, yet on the other side, mm. you know, there's ways you're describing things that feel very day, day, day to day to me, you know, like there's like my dog happens to be the sister of another dog, you know? And David Houston comes around my house every day with his dog. So they has a play date with my dog and he's an older fella, you know, and now the kids hang out with him every day. You know, there's another Mm -hmm. fella that when I was traveling for work, older bloke, Greg Oxley, he saw that I was away and it was winter and he got mad because I was away. He felt like I deserted my family. So he started stacking wood outside the front door for Katie. So she didn't have to go outside when she was home alone mm. to the wood pile to get her wood. And he's now, you know, they've become surrogate grandparents to our kids. We have Thanksgiving together. They come over for Christmas dinner. But they're older generations, you know. If I, if, if I think about the parents who are stepping up to coach little soccer clubs or run programs, you know, we do, obviously we do a lot of theater as part of our soccer work, you know, where there's, you know, we do a lot of kind of like blind leading, all this kind of stuff to build the team, but we're really just mm-hmm. building belonging. We're building community. So it's, it's yes. funny, you know, it, it's almost like on the one side, so much of what you're saying feels unattainable, you know, yet on the other side, so much of it feels incredibly familiar. Hmm. Does that does that make sense? Uh, the familiar part makes sense. The, the unattainable. I have to come to India. Then you won't think it's unattainable, right? But <laughs> yeah, but we can't. But we can't all go to India, though, can we? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Indians are everywhere. <laughs> That's true too. That's true too. And it's but it's also like, well, this is this is my home. Yeah. You know, and so then the question becomes is like, how do these, how do practices like the ones you're talking about, which just feel like deeply human, Hmm. art, music, growing food together, cooking together, being together across generations, playing together, dancing together. I mean, that's just like, it's just basic human stuff, isn't it? Yes. That somehow has been weeded out of our lives by all of these different societal pressures, you know. But, but but can feel fucking unattainable in the midst of the urgency of day-to-day pressures, hmm. you know? Yes. You know, like, like to a North American, it would be very easy to think, to hear that the way you've raised, you've had the opportunity to raise your child as an enormous privilege, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, it's almost like, oh, well, that would take an enormous amount of independent wealth to be able to do that. Mm. to raise my child with that kind of freedom, you know? And uh, I'm not, I'm not, I just, I just want to hear you talk about it more. Do you know what I mean? And like speak into some of the like 
both the familiarity, but the unattainability of it and knowing that we can't all just move to India. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that we're working within contexts that feel like home to us. And, and, and of course, our heart's desire, at least my heart's desire, is to make the places I live that I call home better. Yes. Just is. That's, that's my, I can't help it. I just, I'm built that way, you know? Definitely. No, no. And when one has to be, um, um, we need, we need this to be uh, people reconnecting to place again, their own places is a very core part yeah. of this work, you know? Yeah. And so it's not like uplift. That's another kind of this spin on the whole, you know, this whole mobility narrative, like the ultimate goal of education was to make us feel like we have to be mobile. We can leave place, go anywhere, wherever the job calls us, wherever the the gig is. And um, one of the things I've learned from my both my daughter and my grandmother was this deep, deep love. I've never seen people love place so much. Like I, it's been a really profound experience for me to to be with people who love place so much. And that has rubbed off on me because then... Um, so I think that's that's part of it. The the love, I mean, love is a theme that's going to keep coming up in this. Um, yeah, but as it should, as it should. We don't talk about it enough. I think no. Um, and um, <clears throat> I think that you know, this other thing I've I've been experimenting with a lot is is what I what I call the exponential possibilities of trust. So when we start <laughs> to re we trust, all kinds of miracles can happen. Mm. Like. I can never imagine, you knew, you guys knew me, I, 20 years ago, if you told me you're going to be in the jail and you can do all kinds of crazy, amazing things in the jail, I'd be like, I don't trust those cops. I, they're never going to allow me. I'm, an, I'm a radical unschooler. Why are they going to allow me? And when you start to build this field of trust and care, so it's such an, an interesting experience because we have the trust of the authorities, we have the trust of the guards, we have the trust of the inmates, and we have the trust of corporate sponsors who are supporting this. Uh, and we're kind of holding all of these threads very, very delicately, weaving them, putting all our love into them. Um, and somehow things keep growing and evolving and moving so beautifully and things that we could never imagine. Like even to get, I, I would love to share with your listeners, like, we had an amazing concert on our lake, the World Music Festival. I got permission from the authorities for the for the band to come and perform in front of 2,000 people uh, on the lake with a lot of international performers. It was one of the most beautiful, heartwarming things I've ever seen. And and when the when we got there that morning, mm -hmm. you know, like the the organizers were like, oh, you know, we're doing these guys a favor. Uh, they're just like some little band from the jail and whatever. And when the band started warming up and practicing, everyone's eyes popped open. <laughs> they're like, oh, these guys are really good. And I'm like, of course they're good. They're practicing six hours a day every day. So of course they're gonna get good. Yeah, you know, and they're passionate about it. So so right. um, but I think the trust to get that permission to even bring them out and, and give them the opportunity is, is also things that I can never Imagine. So, you know, like on the dark days and I feel really um, like this is this, is the, you know, we're we're all spiraling into this disaster and all, or, or or none of this is attainable. Then I start to remember trust is actually what happens. 
And coming out of this narrative, I think the narrative was mm. so deep. Don't trust your neighbors. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust, you know, somebody who's trying to help you. Don't, you know, this thing is over and over has been hammered in North America to people. And I think that unless we come out of that uh, and, you know, you know, the friend who's leaving wood, you know, there's a there's a inner critic saying, wait, what a second. What is his agenda? This why is he leaving this wood there? You know, and then you're like, wait, maybe there's something just goodness here. There's maybe some related sense of relationship. But, you know, that that, you know, I could hear people in the in, in the U.S. or Canada saying, wait a second, why is this guy doing this? Uh, so how do we come out of that? I think is a very, very. And, and so when, when when I'm talking about if we enter this field of trust, start weaving it again. I think then that uh, what you're calling unattainable all of a sudden seems like it's 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 very tangible, you know, all of a sudden. Uh, Manish, talk to us about how you begin to maybe I don't know if build trust is the way or assume trust because I feel like we're in so many rooms where we do have to interrupt. Like people are like, well, I don't trust them too. Like as if trust yeah. is a precondition to doing anything with each other and and there has to be like a proving of your trustworthiness and i you know part of how we've done it is we've kind of turned it around and said well you know like rather than focusing on whether you trust them focus on whether you're trustworthy right you know what i mean and, and act in trustworthy ways right and so that's the focus of trust but i'm curious how you begin to build trust or have people assume trust with each other because that is your right in north america it's a huge it's a huge hurdle. It's a big obstacle. This idea that I must be proven to be mm. trustworthy or do something to prove that you can trust yeah. me rather than, yeah. That's a good question. I think what shifted for me is that, as you said, I just started trusting and trying to mm. act in ways that people could feel um, mm. more relaxed and, but more than, more than other people, but I could relax around others when people were trying to connect and offer things. Um, and yeah. how do I deal with that inner voice all the time, which is telling me, I think that was the big thing I had to get over um, myself, which was like, oh, they're doing that. What, what's their angle? What do they want out of this? Or, and, 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 and then just, yeah, my own trying to start to trust people more and more has been, uh, so I, I walk into things. Sometimes it gets me in trouble for sure. Um, that uh, with this thing of, I trust the persons, I'm trusting the people around me and, Let's let's start with that position rather than, um, you know, what let, let me let them have to prove their trust to me. Yeah. And sometimes, obviously, once in a while, it mm -hmm. also doesn't work. But mm -hmm. um, because I'm lazy, I <laughs> keep keeping <laughs> to the trust. It's much easier than not trusting me. Yeah, I love uh, this. Uh, I, I love the. I love the theme. I love the theme of love. I love love. Yeah. Um. And uh. And I. And I. I love this emerging theme of trust too. Yes. You know. And the, and that trust is a default position. Yes. You know. And um. And and I and and this uh. And that there's you know it's both a personal practice of learning to trust myself so I can relax around others you know, but also uh a a a. a an external practice in terms of like building trust, behaving in trustworthy ways, being consistent makes you trustworthy. I can give you an example. Yeah. Very interesting. It's just a small thing, you know, like in the jail, people didn't trust us first coming yeah. in. They're like, what do these guys want? And they're like, oh, you guys just want to click photos of us and with us and pretend you're going to do something yeah. for us. And, 
mm. all that. And so one of the very interesting things that started, one of the, in the first couple of weeks, we were just talking, getting to know people there. And I saw a guy, you know, putting some black stuff on a guard's head. And I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm putting dye on the guard. And I said, what were you doing? Where did you learn this? He said, oh, I used to be a barber. And then all of a sudden it clicked. I said, you know, do you have, um, do you have, um, how do people get haircuts here? And what's this whole system here for haircuts, shaves, nails? And they're like, they're, yeah, we do it, but we don't have good equipment. And um, we don't, um, there's not a very good system here. So I said to him, what do you, how would you like to set up a salon here? A beautiful professional salon here. And his eyes lit up. He's like, yeah, that would be amazing. And I said, would you be willing to also teach others how to do haircutting? He's like, yes, of course I do. And like in two days, we get, I went, I asked my barber, it's like, where do you buy this stuff from? What's the equipment? Whatever, whatever. And I guess got some equipment for them and I took it over there. And the and you can't imagine how intimate and powerful haircutting can be. And, and you know, just getting a shave mm. or nail clipping or whatever, that just clicked in a different way. And it just spread like wildfire that these guys are actually mm. for real. They're not here just for... It was just uh -huh. a simple act, but connecting to something very profound that was needed there and and seeing their gift to actually saying that we, we trust you. Here's the equipment like this is scissors and blades and all that. Let us have permission with the authorities that right. you can do this here and right. that you can dream and you can be with, let us uh, um, treat you with respect and dignity that you can also run this whole salon together and share it with your knowledge with people. So that little act just opened up so much possibility um, for us going forward with this with this uh, project we were I doing. Love that there. story. Listen, mm -hmm. we're getting towards the end of our time, and we still haven't found out how you're the laziest pan man on earth. You know, <laughs> I mean, look, 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 just just so, for the readers, just for the readers' uh, uh, pleasure. Twenty years as coordinator of co-founder of Shikshanta, right? Uh, founder of the Swaraj University, uh, creative adder, learning societies, unconference, walkout, walk on, uh, setting up Udaipur as a learning city, speaker and advisory member of the Economy of Happiness Network, recently helped launch the Ecoversities Network, edited several books. <laughs> I mean, you just sound so lazy. You know, you sound, it sounds like you're not doing it. T tell me about being the laziest man on earth. The history of this is actually, you know, the, um, so there's a, um, archetype of tricksters. Um, and I, I identify once I, there's a great book called trickster mm -hmm. makes the world. When I read it, I finally understood where I fit in because I'm like, Tim is so talented and Tuesday is so articulate and, and where, what am I? Like our group of friends are so amazing. So then I read this book and I was like, Oh, now I figure out how I, how I fit in in this. And I said, I have the trickster energy and that's what, what creates. And so in the trickster, there's many, you know, many, many kinds of, um, um, stories from all over the world. Um, archetypes of, of, I mean, stories that represent the archetype of the trickster. And in, in Southeast Asia, there's the lazy man. Mm -hmm. Uh, archetype, which is very, which was, you know, the guy who always resisted the um, orders of the king to be more productive, to be obedient, to be, to, to do all of these things. And so, um, and at the end of, he'd be lazy and then some little wisdom would pop up where he'd solve 
you know, the whatever the problem was and things. So I, I love those stories of the lazy man. And I realized that, you know, what is what happens is that a lot of our friends, because of their academic training, I think they end up complicating a lot of things unnecessarily, like really, really complicated. And, you know, mm. like particularly those guys who make those mm. diagrams, you know, like it's like, oh, my God. It's just so complicated to understand what you're trying to diagram here. But that then how they also work in the world. And so I think I've always tried to find um, the easiest way. When I say the laziest, the simplest way, the most um, mm. simple, elegant. I think we used to use this word words in Burkana too, you know, graceful, yeah. simple, elegant yeah. next steps, right? So what is that? Rather than trying to create this complicated picture of everything and think we're going to solve everything in our heads. And then, so I think I just look for the simple ways to to do this. A lot of that simplicity um, hmm. means that I don't have to be at the center of everything. It's it's recognizing the gifts and talents that uh, what our friend uh, Edgar, you know, the appreciative yeah. gaze, you know, the gifts in each person, you know, so I can, I have that gift to just see the mm -hmm. gifts in each person. I'm like, okay, you run with it. I don't need to be leading this. I don't need to be at the center of this thing. And you have these gifts and it's amazing. Let me see how I can just support you. So I don't, so many of these different ways, but just to find the simple ways to uh, do it. And it's like, you know, if you're playing a game, um, I think both of you will understand. You figure out, okay, what's the rules of the game? If you're, you're not just playing it at one level, you go to the, the meta level, you go to the invisible level um, and you try to say, okay, here's the unwritten rules. Let me figure out. Okay. And now I can find a way to find my way through this game without, um, with all the complications and things. So I think that's what I've tried to do with all of these projects is just to find the simplest, simplest ways and activate, you know, there's a friend I was with. Um, so we went, one of the things is this ecoversities is really that communities. So what we say in that is that, you know, how we are trained to think about the crisis is part of the crisis. And so our, our systems of learning, as I said, produce mm -hmm. self-hate, fragmentation, uh, fragmented thinking, uh, scarcity-based thinking, fear-based thinking. So we're always making decisions and acting from those places. But if we had a different space of learning, we would act from abundance and care and compassion and, and make quite different diff decisions. So what are those different learning spaces that connect to our both our, um, our our lands, our territories, our ancestors, our our future generations, um, our deepest dreams and and purpose. Can we open up and activate those those spaces? So that's what Ecoversities is trying to do. So I met a friend uh, about six years ago in Brazil, and um, he was uh, running this beautiful space in a favela in Sao Paulo. And uh, he had been in jail for 10 years. And I met him. He's one of the most powerful guys I've ever met. Uh, and um, I'm looking at his work. I'm like, you know, you're running the Favela University. And it, his eyes just pop open. And he's like, mm. what? I was in jail. How can I run? A I'm like, you know, you're the vice chancellor of the university. And he's like, is that possible? I'm like, yes. I, and I give you permission. You can go ahead now. You don't need anyone else's permission. And he just took that, something clicked, and I just met him a couple of months ago, and he's created this, just taken that project to another level all over his community. All kinds of young people are there, and it's mm. it's booming. And, and so, you know, 
I didn't I didn't have to do much except to just help him see the the power he had and the vision that he could create with it. And he's just doing it all on his own, which is amazing. So so I think that those kinds of things. Um, yeah. And so you know how to when when to be a little bit involved and when to get out of mm. the way. I think that's that's good as a as a lazy person. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you almost have me convinced you're lazy, except, <laughs> I mean, almost, not quite. I, I know I know how hard you work and, and how many relationships you keep. Yeah. And I want to affirm that trickster energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone else who could have me brush my teeth with cow dung, and yet you have had yeah. people do that. And so I think, Manish, for sure, I love that. I love that trickster energy. And I, we are, we are closing. But one of the things we ask our guests um, to kind of close is if there's anything you're carrying around with you, be it wisdom from your grandmother, be it a quote, be it um, an idea, but something that you kind of keep in your back pocket that just kind of sustains you and keeps you going. And I wonder if you might have an idea of what that could be and share that with our listeners to close. Yeah, I think, um, so one of my favorite, um, I have so many quotes, so I'll tell you one in Hindi and one in English. How's that? Uh, Great. So Perfect. the one in Hindi is, Dil Dariya to Sab Bardiya. So it means um, when your heart is open um, and expansive, uh, um, life flows very beautifully and magically. Uh, mm. so that's one that really keeps me alive and uh, mm. and uh, we have actually oh, I, I was, we have these beautiful heart pins next to us I'm, that have been made by our sisters in the jail actually to remind everybody about this that that what today in the mm. times we live in that we don't need people living with smart small hearts and fear but how do we live together to with expansive hearts um so that's one and then the other i think is um the experiment i'm in right now i think which is on the edge one of the edges is um so there's a there's a quote uh, we haven't come here to compete against each other on this earth we've come here to complete each other and um, i think the experiment the edge i would relate it to is that um, so it was easy to make these categories of good versus evil, and these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and um, um, these are these are my people, these are the enemies, all of those things. And I think the experiment that I'm trying to explore a lot in a lot of these places, in the jail and in, in school with many people, is uh, what if what if there's no enemies? Um, what if mm. Or how do I work with those people? How do I trust those people? How do I build deep friendship with those people who I thought were my enemies? Um, mm-hmm. And what is a, what what kind of spaces can we create for for um, coming together on another level at another frequency uh, so that we can actually um, complete each other and care for each other and nourish each other? So I think that's the that's the challenge. I want to move beyond that um, that very limited narrative of, of, of the good guys and the enemies and that's right see how we can blur things how we can shape shift together how we can um, um, learn from the more than human together uh, open up all kinds of possibilities to get out of this mess together mm. oh i love <laughs> love it love it that <laughs> feels like a great way to end and a great um a great thing to reimagine at this moment in the world yes really 
really powerful. It's been a total what delight a- to have you on the pod, Manish. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, I love seeing you guys. So things have so many great memories. Yeah, hey. Mm-hmm. And so many great possibilities. Haha. <laughs> now we're That's talking. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of love, mate. Take good care. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And congratulations on the sixth season. Ah, thank you. Yeah, we're really excited. I feel like I get more and more excited about the podcast. Actually, yeah. it's <laughs> been it's been really interesting, and so. We'll, we'll put how to find you, Manish, up on the podcast notes, you know. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, we have a little bit of a bonus clip. So we were just talking to Manish Jane, and I know you all liked it as much as we liked it. And we have a couple of things to follow up on, just like a little bit. We're just going to press in a little bit more. Um on just a few topics uh, so that we can hear a little more completeness from Manish. And so Manish, I'm going to invite you to first talk about um, that question I brought up, which is around like, and I think it was a little bit of a throwaway line, like the self-hate that we learn in schools. And boy, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that because I think that's going to really be a little shocking for folks. Can you say more? Yes, thanks, Tuesday. So I, I would actually say that one of the core purposes of mainstream education is to create self-hate in us. So uh, by that, I mean uh, this continuous feeling that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough, mm-hmm. that I'm not beautiful enough, that I'm not worthy mm-hmm. of love, that um, there's something always imperfect about me and there's a need to perfect it. And then mm. what that feeds into is then to make you a very good, uh, stupid consumer. Um, we have a poster in our university which says, you know, imagine the number of businesses that would go out of business if women started loving themselves and their bodies, for example. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, this idea that I'm, uh, you know, and, and we in India, this since the, you know, growth of schooling, this growth of, for example, face whitening creams used to be with women only and with guys, they would secretly use it and their sisters. Now there's a whole genre for guys itself, but this thing that I'm not beautiful and uh, Mm -hmm. me, something that I feel is manufactured in school. And then the way it plays out oftentimes is also in bullying where we're not able to accept others differences, Mm. um, others who people who look differently or speak differently or are not as quick or is not as, uh, you know, what we think is beauty or whatever, that I think there's a lot of challenge in that, but it very much feeds the agenda or fits with the agenda of the global economy, which wants people to continuously consume and think that the key to happiness is something out, outside of me. If I, if I buy this product, I'll be happy and this product will make me feel better about myself. So I think this is one of the core agendas and I call it part of the hidden curriculum of, of factory schooling. Mm. And so Manish, I have to ask a follow-up question. So are you suggesting that that's the intent or a byproduct? Just curious. I think that's the intent. To, to make us feel like we are uh, never good enough. That's one of the core intents mm. of schooling. And to also disconnect us, like disconnect us from our ancestors, 
disconnect us from our our territories, disconnect us from our our hands, from our bodies, uh, and to make us feel like experts and institutions know better than us all the time. I think that's one mm. of the core core agendas that are we, you know, very little of education would say trust your intuition where it would actually say trust the experts all the time is what we're told, but trust right. your own intuition, even if you go back to the, you know, hit roots of, of, uh, schooling, which would be in the, you know, 18th century starts out of Prussia. It's very clearly several thinkers in, in Europe started talking about the purpose of schooling is to disconnect people from their own inner conscience, their own free will, mm. their own inner voice, you know, and, uh, so I think it is by design that way, and um, uh, and we see it all over the world, actually, in all the countries I've worked with. It's a continuous pattern. Tim, I feel like you've said something similar around boarding school, right? The 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 allegiance from the family to the state. Yeah, I mean, maybe in my naivete, I think it's you know I've always thought it was very specific to boarding school, actually, to the British boarding school system that it's uh, deliberately designed to rob you of your empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's set up uh, to create uh, a situation whereby you remove your relationship to your own inner self and therefore that severs your ability to have a relationship to other people's uh, inner selves. It removes your capacity for empathy, both for yourself mm. and for others. Mm. Uh, in the in the colonial British belief that that is what would make you a good leader uh, as a colonial administrator in other countries, that you wouldn't be caught up in the emotional turmoil of those you were kind of uh, uh, inflicting the imperial decree upon. Right, and so I think so. I think that's true. So, and I, and I think that's been true of my education and has been part of my own unlearning, um, but also part of my own learning to go through that, you know, that I could only know it the way I know it through having lived it, you know, and can only speak so authentically and articulately about it because I've done analysis of my own experience, you know, but those, those environments are, they, that I was exposed to were they're highly abusive psychologically, physically, spiritually, emotionally. That's just what they were. But that's, that was the mechanism, mm. in a way, through which you're robbed of empathy. But I do want to say that, that that hasn't been my experience of uh, living in Canada. You know, And, and that uh, the school here, certainly the school in the community I live in, that the kids go to... Um, hasn't had that approach. And that may be to do with the teachers. That may be to do with the fabric of community that surrounds the school, you know? And so, um, so I, I think it is definitely true. I mean, I, I mean, I can hundred percent be like, yup, that falls squarely into my experience of British boarding school, but doesn't completely match with my experience of a community based school in, you know, rural Nova Scotia. Right. Not saying that a community schools in rural Nova Scotia hold the dominant pattern of schooling in North America. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it, also there's nuance, right, to what people will experience uh, in their communities and in their lives, which is dependent upon the relationships they have with people in their community and the place they live in. Um, I want to hear more, Manish, about the ecoversities mm, and um, so cool. the yeah, the different ecoversities, and I just feel like yeah, we talked about it, and it's like. 
even the ecoversity is a provocative word, but I feel like you're doing lots there and there's not like just like one ecoversity. Can you say more? Yeah. So I just say first, um, you know, when we say ecoversities, we're using, uh, we're referring to eco as home. What is our relationship mm. to home and how do we find our way home? Maybe if we've lost our way. So these are learning spaces. Uh, which are helping people find our way home uh, mm. physically, spiritually, um, uh, emotionally, uh, that kind of grounding, uh, which we feel is missing. And the beauty of it is that there's all kinds of, it's an invitation to the imagination, I think. And so we have, you mm. know, um, like the river versity, the, the farm versity, the forest versity, where what if the river is our guru or what is the, what if the, Soil oh, is our wow. guru, or what if the forest is our guru? So it's an invitation to invite in more than human intelligences that exist uh, mm. in the universe. Um, we are also looking at things like the favela university, or the yeah. um, village university, or the jail university. So all these places again, which people have given up on. That what if there's a, a infinite amount of talent and uh, um, mm. in the in talent, even in the trauma that people face, what if there's a creativity there that is waiting to be unleashed? Um, and so the, the invitation is, you know, or, or we talk about our grandmother's university. So many of them, like I was told my grandmother is illiterate and uneducated, but what if mm. grandmothers have a lot of wisdom then we can bring them into our understandings of where learning is. So these were all spaces that, you know, throughout history have been, valued and recognized, um, even something like traveling, Travelers University. Uh, as ver and in India, we talk about pilgrimages and yatras as very mm. essential to, to, the, um, um, to, to the development or the growth of evolution of a human, human being uh, as rites of passage. Um, and so these have never been recognized by the mainstream education system. Many of these spaces or, or these sources of of, of knowing. Uh, uh, and so what the Ecoversity is, is trying to do is to give space for all of these to reemerge because we feel that mm. we get the limits of the rational, linear, fragmented, logical mind and that there's an invitation for many, many more kinds of wisdom to uh, and creativity um, and, and compassion to kind of emerge in the world. So that's what we're trying to actually invite that. And, and you know, the other invitation is like, you know, we think we need permission to start a university. So we're saying, no, you can start it with five friends. Right. Get five of your right. friends together and you can start to seed your own university. And so what can Love happen? It. What kinds of things get open? And I think, um, you know, one of the most tragic things, at least we see it a lot in India and most of what I felt in the global south, millions and millions of young people being labeled as failures. And, and giving up on life, giving up on, you know, like that they have any future. But all of a sudden, when we talk about that, you can start your own university, um, it just creates a spark. And uh, it's an amazing kind of energy that I feel is getting released that has been dormant for many, many, many years around around the world. Yeah, I'm going back to you calling yourself the laziest. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just like, that was right. so funny. Yeah, yeah, right. We, Go we start have a university. lazy man's college also. Lazy people's college in Thailand also. 
Is that right? <laughs> I love it. I because I can feel it. I can feel that you would say to people like, you don't have to have permission to start a university. Like, yeah. who said that? Right? Like yeah. you can actually, you know something and you want to do it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You should see the when I work in the jail university, you know, like the question when I tell different inmates, you can be a faculty member. You can be a professor. And they're like, what? <laughs> and like, right. And it's something very magical starts to open up. It's really beautiful. Well, it's really similar to what you were saying about composting the old. I mean, yes. you're taking the strength of the word and you're taking the validation and credibility that comes from that word in a dominant system and giving it freedom in another. Yes. You know, so it's like exactly that, you know, you, when you were talking about composting, when we were talking earlier. So I, I mean, it's another great example of how, you, how you're doing that. It's wicked. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't tell you, you, one thing I didn't tell you, you know, in our own university, we don't, we have a whole campaign called uh, healing ourselves from the diploma disease. Mm. And uh, we've, we've invited uh, hundreds of organizations to give people without degrees and diplomas a chance. Uh, and we found extremely good response in India. But in our university, you know, we don't give a dip degree or diploma. But what I started doing um, is handing people a roll of toilet paper. It's oh. <laughs> It's, uh, if you can learn how to deal with your own shit in life, you'll be happy. That's the, this is the uh, most important piece of paper that you need in life. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is hilarious. I love that. Um, yeah, we talked about that trickster energy. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I was thinking, Manish, about how um, it's almost like into these institutions or into these achievements, right? There's like a gate to walk through, right? Like, so somebody has to be the gatekeeper, right? Like that says, no, this is a university. No, this isn't. No, this is like a professor or no, it isn't. And so like with your trickster energy, all you're doing is opening the gate. Yeah. You're just like, oh, no, you can actually walk through here. Like, uh, all right. You know, like I don't, like a gatekeeper doesn't actually have to be someone who keeps people out. It actually can be people who a person who lets people in and says, no, this yeah. is actually for you. I would, I would say that. something else about it. I was, you know, with his friends in um, Brazil in the favela <clears throat> and I told them, um, look, look, most of the people who have been um, into social justice work uh, all over the world have given out few keys to the university, you know, to in the name mm -hmm. of social justice. But I, what I'm giving you, I'm saying, let's remove the door. Let's remove the gate. Right. I'm just, That's right. You know, I'm not giving you That's any right. key. I'm just removing it and you can do what Great. you want and create what you need for your communities. So that's, that's, this is, I think, is a game changer in many ways for people. Hmm. I love it. So you, uh, we also talked about trust and uh, in our conversation around trust, just a little back and forth, you and I had, you used this, this phrase that just has me kind of on fire. You said, we're moving to the space beyond clarity in relation to trust. And so can you just say a little bit more about that? I feel like mm -hmm. it's worth people hearing that. Yeah. So I think um, <clears throat> what I've found is a lot of friends of mine are really pushing towards uh, much more rules, much more regulations, much more written agreements, like trying to put, mm -hmm. anticipate every kind of potential conflict or problem and trying mm -hmm. to say, let's be clarity on everything that can emerge and make sure it's all written down so 
there's a you know uh, standards and and definitions and and operating procedures and and everything else and then even when it doesn't work then <clears throat> massive amount of efforts again to restructuring reorganizing trying to get the structures right and i think that um, my own experiences have led me to think that maybe there's a need to focus more on trust because as we enter more and more spaces of complexity and uncertainty that um getting it right may not actually be good enough and is there may not be a right mm. getting there might not be a point of clarity that we reach and act from there it might be that we have to be able to make sense of each other and and trust each other in order to walk through the darkness together um wow. or, or the chaos so i think that's the invitation is that maybe there's a different energy we have to create or or even almost a different frequency we have to build uh, with people that is not about getting the words on the paper right, which or the right structures in place. Those all have mm-hmm. a place. I'm not totally negating them, but I feel like mo- most efforts are on that and less efforts are how do we build this field of trust really? Um, and I think that's where a lot of my own experiments and uh, there's a different artistry that's required for that, maybe, mm. uh, which I would invite people to reflect on. Yeah. It's not a technical skill. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I think I want to just say, because so much of like, we often talk, it's just like, it's just kind of like winding me up because often we talk about like kind of the minimum clarity to move forward, but like we may be moving into a time where we don't actually even have the minimum clarity. And, and we have to move forward. Yes. And so like, what does that mean? What are the skills there? And certainly trust will be a component of that. Um, yeah. Hmm. And there's no right structure, I think. If there's, you know, there's this, this dream of maybe the right perfect structure and the perfect, you know, book of rules that people get in yeah. place. And I, I just don't think, I mean, human beings and human relationships and if we bringing the more more than human into the conversation, then it's it's something that right. is much more transcendent than that. Hmm. Love it. Thanks, Manish. That's awesome. Great guys. I love having that. I love having that kind of like added nuance in. I love it. Yeah, it's great. <laughs>